0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. One, Pastor, my message today is not necessarily a Father's Day message, although it's going to tie in just a little bit. But I was listening to one pastor speak and he was talking about um, a day that he was standing in front of the mirror and he was shaving and he said, I, I had shaving cream all over my face hanging down. And he said, I looked down, there's my little eight-year-old son and he said he um, always had to hide his razor because he's afraid his son would come in there and grab his razor at eight years old and scrape his face off. But he said, he said this particular moment caught me. He said, I, I was looking in the mirror shaving and then he said, I just stopped, I could see my son. He said, my son was looking up at me, and I was looking at my son through the mirror. And he said, I was looking at him remembering what I used to be, and he was looking at me looking at what he is going to be. That's pretty pungent when you stop and think about that. When your son or your daughter, dad or mom, looks at you, What are they looking at and who would they become if they were looking at the one they're going to become like? That was pretty striking to me. And I know not everybody probably had the best home situation. I don't know. Every now and then I hear some horror stories and of course your heart always goes out to those people. But um, largely speaking, we, uh, we have somebody that we can always look up to. And I would say this, we have a heavenly father who gave us his son so that we could become everything that he is through his son. So whether your, whether your home life was great, and I can honestly say I was very blessed. I've got an idea most of us can probably say that. Some of you may have had a tough growing up life, but what you can say here today is this. We all have a heavenly father who deserves our highest honor and I need to be willing to look at him through his word and the mirror of the word and pray and beg God that I can become just like him. One day we will. We'll caught up together with him. We'll be with the Lord and forever in the air and so forth. But uh, till that day comes, my life ought to want to desire with everything I have in me to be like him. So we're in our, we're in our Bibles this morning. We're in Matthew 27. And uh, I want to ask you to go down, if you will, to verse 26. We're going to go down to 26 to 44. Can you believe how fast we're going through this, guys? (laughs) First snicker I've had out of some of you in weeks. Well, we are. I mean, look, 26 to 44, that's a large section of verses. We're going to get down through here before you know it. Um. I wanna to talk to you about, it. I'm gonna use a word today that you don't hear a lot, a lot of times, but I wanna describe it. And I wanna use it in uh, my, my message this morning for my title. I wanna talk about the vicarious suffering of Christ. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to say, but how many of you, um, number one, how many of you heard the word vicarious before? See your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you know what it means? Yeah, both of us. No, four. Yeah. Just kidding. But uh, we, we just don't use it a lot today. It's not a term that you find in your everyday language. But oh my goodness, guys, it's so fitting. And it's exactly what's going on in our passage here this morning. So I, I want you to look with me in Matthew 27. Uh, Barabbas has just been released, if you will remember. They chose to release a thief and a robber and to uh, you know stuff Christ into his place and uh, make Jesus take the place of the wicked sinner. If you remember that uh, last Sunday's message, now, boy, it gets deeper and deeper as we walk along here, Matthew 27. Look in verse 26. The Bible says, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him. And put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns. They put it upon his head. And a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him. And mocked him saying. Hail king of the Jews. You want to know how sincere that was? Look at the next verse. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, uh, after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written... This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by, you've got to try to envision this, reviled him, wagging their heads. Can you see him just shaking their head at him, mocking and making fun of him? And saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. This is all done in uh, just snide mockery. And then notice also the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. We'll just pause there and let's have a word of prayer. God, I thank you, Lord, for a passage of scripture like this, God. And uh, I, I never feel adequate preaching the word of God. But when I get to a place like this, I realize how undeserving I am to even speak about what you did for us. And yet you've called me to preach. And so... I pray your power and your anointing would be upon me, God, and help me to preach this word and to share with um, our folks here today exactly what was taking place here. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In February of this year, an article was printed about a hiker and his dog. Um, While they were hiking through New Jersey's Monksville Reservoir, don't know if anybody's ever seen or heard of that ever before. But while they were hiking through there, a man named Stephen Parisi and his dogs, they startled a bear. And if I remember the article correctly, I think she had some cubs with her uh, that were alongside the trail. And so the bear attacked. I mean, it was after them. I mean, it was game on. And one of the dogs, an English setter, jumped in between the bear and Stephen, his owner. And the owner was able to run off, gathered the other dogs that they had with them, and he ran and tied the the other dogs up and then ran back to try to scare the bear off. Now, I I appreciate the valor of this man, but I would not have ran back. I would have just kept running right on home. But he did, he wanted to run back and try to scare the bear off and maybe possibly save his dog. But uh, after the bear was finally gone, their dog Pete was severely injured. They took the dog to the vet, but his injuries were so severe, and he died from those wounds. And what uh, everybody, and especially the owner, could easily understand was that, you know, the scars and the wounds and even the death that the dog experienced could very well have been his own had somebody, something not stepped between him and what was coming at him. And that's exactly what uh, that dog did, it stepped between him and the danger that was coming at him and was willing to take what the man was about to get. You might be familiar with the wording, maybe you've heard from time to time the words, the vicarious death of Christ on the cross. But I wanna talk today, I wanna preach about the vicarious suffering of Christ. And it does lead, of course, to his death. And yes, his death was vicarious, hey, by the way, whatever that word means, right? Uh, his death was vicarious. But the example I gave about the dog, stepping in and taking what the man would have gotten is a perfect definition of what vicarious means. Let me give you some, uh, let me give you some definitions. The word vicarious, it means taking the place of another thing or person to be a substitute. Or it means that somebody endured or suffered or performed something performed by one person was done in the place of another. It's what another person would have gotten. Or it's what, even in in our case, it's what we deserved. And yet somebody was willing to step in between us and judgment that was coming to us and took our place so that the attack that would have hit us, the judgment of God, God cannot stand unrighteousness. Unrighteousness must be Punished. It just, there's just no way around that. The wages of sin is death. And so every man and woman born into this world had judgment coming at them. And yet the very son of the God who demanded righteousness stepped in between his father and us and took what we deserved. That's called vicarious suffering. Somebody else taking what I had coming to me. Last week we talked about the murderer and that the robber Barabbas and I mentioned to him already at the beginning of the message how he was released from prison from death row so to speak and and how Jesus ended up taking his place and how Barabbas was guys it was a perfect picture of what you and I were before we got saved. I mean, we were the ones that were held in the bondage of sin. We were the ones that had, you know, bondage and and chains around us and bars of sin that held us in and made us do everything that Satan really wanted us to do. And yet Jesus Christ took our place so that we could go free and he would suffer in our place. So, Barabbas being a perfect image of you and me. Today, as we... Watch Jesus Christ being tortured and crucified. Let's get a full grasp, if you will, on the fact that Jesus was suffering vicariously for every Christian that's here this morning. Um, I know a lot of our folks are out at Father's Day, and, and I know of several that are out visiting in other places. But is there anybody here that could just say, hey, I'm so glad to know that Jesus Christ has paid my sin debt. I'm saved and on my way to heaven. Anybody say an amen to that? Do you understand to raise your hand like that is to know that the son of God stepped in between you and the wrath of his father against our sin and took all of that upon him. That's what vicarious means here this morning. Jesus stepped in between us and our penalty for sin and took everything that you and I deserved. He suffered vicariously. I'll be honest with you. um, My dad back home in Franklin, Ohio. Um, One day of my life, I decided I was going to wear shorts as a little boy was the day I got into one of the worst trouble I ever had. And if my dad didn't have uh, his belt, well, there's lots of trees around. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say trees? My dad pulled a switch off the tree and I wore shorts that day. Last day I think I ever wore shorts in my life. And, and my older brother never one time walked up and said, Dad, <clears throat> Philip really didn't mean to do that, but I know he's got it coming. Let me take his place. No. My, and I'm going to send a copy of this message to him uh, back in Ohio. No, my brother never stepped in for me. But I never stepped in for my sisters either. So uh, nobody ever really said, you know, can I, can I suffer for you? I, I really want to really take your place. And rarely in this lifetime, guys, do you have people on this earth that will step up and say, I'll, I'll take your place. I was in court one time. A man was being sentenced to, man, it was like 15 years in prison. And I remember uh, as a friend of this man, um, I came to, to support him, try to be an, an encouragement to him. And uh, just before the sentencing, the judge asked the question, does anybody have anything more they would like to say? And a young man stood up in that courtroom, I'll never forget this, it sent chills up and down my back. He said, yes, sir, I have something I'd like to say. If there's any way that you would be willing to let that man go out the doors, I'd be willing to go to prison for him. Can you just give his sentence to me? I knew there was no way that was gonna happen. I know in today's court system that you take the guilty one, and the guilty one's going to go to prison, and that's exactly what happened. But the judge said, "Well, it was an honorable, you know, suggestion, sir, and I thank you for your loyalty and love to your friend." But he uh, he's going to have to pay himself, suffering vicariously. That's what Jesus did for us; stepped in and took our place. So, how did he suffer vicariously? First of all, it was very obvious to me when he suffered. Um, He suffered vicariously for the mockery that was supposed to come to me and to you. Uh, We read it there in verses 27 down to verse 31. You you saw them in numbers of places uh, mocking him, bowing the knee and so forth. Can I just say this this morning, guys? Let me say to the men here today, here's what I know about guys, and I am speaking to myself. First of all, with a mirror, so to speak, in front of me, Uh, most guys do not handle being mocked very well. Most people don't handle being mocked very well. But I, I know guys, you know, who are kinda of macho and you try to put me down and make me look stupid in front of a crowd. You know, that's, that's sometimes those are fighting words and we'll kinda of get in the face of somebody if they start to make too much fun of us or they, they wanna make sure that everybody knows what a, what a fool you've been and something that you did. Most guys do not do good with uh, somebody mocking them. Sadly, Uh, What I know is even the most seasoned of Christians uh, have just enough pride in them that when they're mocked, they'll bristle and they'll rise up to their adversary. And like I said, sometimes get in their face. Sometimes they don't learn what it means to have temperance and to be temperate and to be able to overlook somebody else's childish words and actions. And sometimes guys, sometimes even women will, will, will do that. But guys, remember, Here's what you need to remember that we've already gone through the garden of Gethsemane at this point. And while Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane on his knees, pleading and praying to his father and great drops of sweat and blood mingled together were dripping to the ground. Jesus got settled already in the garden. What was going to happen to him later on. And he already determined God, whatever happens from the time I leave this garden, I'm placing it in your hands and I'm committing myself to the one that judges righteously. And I know God will handle all these things. These things no longer belong to me. And nothing else that can happen to me is going to affect my decision to die for my people. So when the mockery came to him. And when they were poking fun at him and doing all the things we're going to talk about here in just a minute, Jesus did not bristle up and say, you're going to treat me like that? Well, let me show you a thing or two. And how many knows Jesus could have shown them a thing or two? Oh, boy, could he have. But he spent some time on his knees before he got into that day and recognized, you know, the world's coming at me. And there's going to be some things coming at me that I don't handle too well in my flesh. And I have to deliver these things to God God help us to spend some time in our Gethsemane in the morning time to know that there are things coming at us every day of our life that in your flesh, you're not going to be able to handle unless you spend some time with God alone and deliver some things over to the Lord and not hold things so closely to yourself. So here they go. Um, First, the band of soldiers, they took Jesus into what is called the judgment hall or Pilate's house. And here they stripped him of his own clothing. And then in mockery, they put on this royal robe, a scarlet or purple robe upon him, made it look like he was really a king, but it was all done in mockery. Um, and every king needs a crown, of course, you know that. And so they're thinking, how, hey, what can we put on him for a crown? And so they shaped one, as you know, out of the thorns from the area, placed it on his head, Man, I've heard all kinds of stories and songs written about the thorns. You know, we really don't know for sure if they were the long ones that we've read about or not. I do know that a crown of thorns would not feel so good. And then a king needs a scepter, you know, that rod that he would sit there and hold. So uh, they they took a simple little reed, you know, that grows up along the riverbanks and they stuck it in his hand uh, to make him look like a make-believe king. And then, guys, in pure mockery, they bowed the knee to him as if to bow before a true king. All along, they're bowing and poking each other in the ribs, laughing and snickering, while they cried, Hail, King of the Jews. And they look and laugh at each other and mock him with their knee bowed before him. And I'm going to tell you, how many of you you and I know and understand, there's going to come a day, those same men are going to bow down before that Jesus. They're not going to be there in mockery one day. They're not going to be making fun of a make-believe king. They're going to be bowing before who they now know and understand that he is now the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But on that day, it was mockery. It was making fun of the God of heaven. And they were making fun of the very one who was willing to stand between them and the wrath of his father. They didn't understand that. They didn't know how to get on the right side of Jesus. So that the deflection of his wrath would would be deflected away from them. Oh no. They stood right in the presence of a holy God and mocked and made fun of him. That's what they're doing to our Savior. And after that, guys, anybody here ever been spit on? Yeah. Yeah. I know moms, those of you feeding that green stuff to your babies get spit on. We understand why that happens. Green baby food? Come on, really? But, uh, and I'm not talking about the little babies that spit at you. I'm talking about somebody that, I remember I was in, uh, where was I, Arlington, uh, I think it was in Arlington, Texas, Bible College. And I remember driving my car, I was at an intersection, I was at an intersection and I was, I was making a. I was Making a right hand turn, and another car was coming around and making a turn this way. Anyway, uh, they were going this way, I was going that way. They had their window down, I had mine down. It was a hot summer's day. And as they drove past me, something went kush, plush, all over my face. And I looked back in time just to see them pulling the glass back in, and the guy's laughing, like, I got that guy really good. And I'm like, What, what was that? What did they just throw on? It was just a glass of water. I was mad. Did you spend time in Gethsemane that morning? Not long enough. I, I should have spent more time with the Lord that morning. That, that made me mad in the flesh. But have somebody walk up to me and spit at me in the face? A grown man does something to a man. It just does. It's not a good thing. And um, after they were done with all of that, bowing the knee and mocking and making fun of him, they began to spit upon him. One of the worst, most degrading things you can do to a man, treating him like a, a, a dog, less than a dog, and, and just so much mockery and, and making fun of him. And then after that, you know how they took the reed. And, and I don't know, um, we, we think, and I have a pretty good idea that when they took the reed and began to smite him on the head, that very possibly, if they were the long thorns, that it was possible that the thorns would, you know, slice into the, uh, at least through the scalp, probably not into the skull itself, but some would even think they would glance and come off back out another side. And, and I don't know if that happened or not, but I think it's conceivable. And they were done with that, they're having their fun, they rip that robe off of him and put his own back on him. Later, he's crucified. And as he hangs there, people, and I'm reading on down to where we have already been, but if I can just tell you about it, people are walking by, you know, along with the chief priests and even the thieves that are hanging beside him begin to mock him and saying things like, you know, if, if you're really the son of God, like you said you were, why, why don't you just come down from that cross? And, and disprove the claims uh, that these people are making about you. They would go on and say other things. Uh, you know, you, know you, you saved others. You can't even save yourself. Um, but guys, you understand Jesus knew what the facts were. Um, in my flesh, had I been there on that day, Alongside of Peter and James and John and the other disciples. And watched the mockery and the fun they were making of him. There probably would have been something in me that would have said. Just come down. Take care of these guys. You don't have to go through this. Why, why are you staying up there like that? We know what you can do. We have seen the power that you have. Why don't you come down from there and show them that you really are the son of God. You know the answer, right? Because if he had done that, this would not have been vicarious suffering. It would have been me suffering. It would have been you having to suffer. And Jesus knew that you and I, the only way I can take the wrath of his father is to spend eternity in hell. And Jesus knew if he came down from the cross and he stopped the mockery instantly like that, then all the suffering that would have been placed on him would have to then come upon us. I'm so glad, like the song that had been sung years ago, I'm so glad he didn't come down. I'm glad he was willing to stay on the cross. I'm glad he understood what vicarious meant and was willing to go all the way for us. Number one, thank God he took our mockery. Hey, Dad, can you imagine that being one of your kids up there? And yet it's, they say about the Heavenly Father it pleased the Lord to bruise him because the Father even knew that what his Son was doing was going to bring us back into a right relationship with him. He suffered vicariously by taking our mockery and then vicariously by taking our pain. Um, you're in Matthew here. Hold your place and go back with me, if you will, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Um, look down into verse 17, if you will. John nineteen seventeen, and notice what it says here. Just a little further description I want you to see. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. So why do we read that? I just want you to see that Jesus left uh, that place uh, from the the mockery and so forth when they crucified him uh, or before they crucified him he had to bear his cross all the way up to Calvary okay? Now go from here to the book of Luke chapter 23 Luke chapter 23 back a few pages and then Drop down to verse 26, if you would. Just to back up what was already in our text this morning, verse 26 says, And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Okay, so let's flip back over here and, uh, and come to our passage where we were in Matthew, if you will. So vicariously he suffered my pain. Would you look in verse 34 of the text now? We're in Matthew 27. Uh, Go back down to verse 34 if you would. And notice it. Remember when we read this a while ago, it said that they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. In another one of the gospels it said myrrh. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Why wouldn't he drink of that? I mean, after the beating and everything Jesus has been through, I have to tell you, the body goes through an extreme amount of uh, thirst. When, when you're bleeding, the body screams for water. It just does. And you, you, you want uh, some kind of relief of some sort. And as soon as they put it to his lips and as soon as his tongue tasted what it really was, he refused it. He didn't want anything to do with it. I, I have an idea. He probably spit in another direction to get what was on his tongue out of his mouth. So what was this myrrh or this gall that we're talking about here, the vinegar and those things mingled together? It was um, the gall was a bitter substance. They they say it was like wormwood that was given to those who were being crucified to be able to intoxicate him to the point that the sharpness of the pain wasn't as excruciating um, as it could have been. I've talked to people who get, how many of you get migraine headaches? Let me see your hands. Migraine headaches. Headaches, yep, I see your loved one has scooted far away from you as you were sitting with a, a migraine. But they say, I, you know, I, I take certain things and it don't, all it does is just take the edge off. That's about all it does. I still feel the pain, but it, you know it takes the edge off. It just gives me the ability they the walk around with their, you know, their eyes squinted and just trying to make it through the day. Well, the idea behind this vinegar mingled with this myrrh or the gall, it was an act of kindness that they allowed certain ladies or there was another group. I forget what their group was called, but they would allow them um, to do this one little act of kindness to somebody about to die on the cross. They knew the Roman torture was unbelievable and in some cases almost indescribable. So they would allow them to have that and it would dull the pain just a little bit. But the second Jesus knew what it was, he refused it. He wanted to fully experience and to take our full penalty of pain so that none of it was passed over. He wanted to take it all. We're doing a little flipping through the Bible this morning. Hold your place again. Go back to the book of Hebrews near the end of the New Testament. The book of Hebrews. When you get there, turn to chapter 2. Hebrews 2. Look in verse 9. Please follow along. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, notice this, for the suffering of death. He was made for the suffering of death. And then notice this, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, this is huge right here, should taste death for every man to taste it all, to know what every ounce of it not only felt like, but was willing to take everything that, they had, that uh, we had coming to us. Uh, Brother Corey Estep used to be our youth director. Him and Sierra uh, was, was our youth directors a few years back. And uh, they asked if we wanted to meet him at Buffalo Wild Wings. And I'm like, yeah, I'll go to Buffalo Wild Wings. And we met them there. They wanted to get some wings. And they said, uh, they said, Pastor, you can get lots of different kinds of dips here. I said, great. And you, the very hottest one is, does anybody here know what the name of that stuff is other than kerosene? It's, it's kerosene or something like that. But it's really, 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 it's the hottest thing, I think, on the face of the earth. And uh, they're like, you know, just, just really dab just a little bit uh, because uh, it's, it's pretty hot. And I watched Sierra. A woman just dunk. I mean, just dunk. She says, it's pretty warm. Oh, I'm not going to eat any. Oh, come on, pastor. No, I'm not going to eat any. Oh, come on, pastor. You know what they were saying? Chicken. Okay. I stuck one in there just a little bit. And I stuck it in my mouth, and I started chewing on that. Not too bad. Bah! And I'm not exaggerating. Um. Uh, I was very calm just now when I did that because it was like 10 times that. I mean, if, if you want to burn your tongue off, just pull it out and light a fire and then eat your chicken. I, that's what I say, but it was, it was so bad and I made the mistake of swallowing that. So all the way down, I have got fire. And I'm, I'm seriously, I'm in trouble and I don't care who sees me. I grab my napkin and I'm just rubbing my napkin. And there are people in the restaurant watching me. I didn't care. I was dying. After a while I got up, I ran to the bathroom. I stuck my head over the sink, turned the faucet on. And I'm literally, I'm going, like, oh. I grab paper towels and I'm scrubbing. And I stopped and I looked over. There's a guy standing there trying to dry his hands. He's looking at me like this. And I, I said, that stuff's really hot out there, isn't it? He goes. Yeah, and he threw his towel away and took off. Man, I couldn't get it off my tongue. That was the hottest thing I ever ate in my life. The Last time I'll ever do that. And I never go to Buffalo Wild Wings with East Steps ever again. So why'd you tell that story? Because I thought about all that is in this world and all the wicked sin that you could ever come up with. In every ounce of punishment that is supposed to be given for all those sins. And when Jesus tasted something that would lighten the load just a little bit, uh, he said, no, I want, I want to taste it all. He wanted to taste death for every man. I want, I want to take every ounce of the suffering that would normally come to them. I, I want it all. No, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want anything to be left where somebody could say, Well, yeah, you know, you lightened it up a little bit, and you say you paid for the sins of the whole world, yeah, and uh, they lightened your load a little bit. No, uh, I, I want to taste death for every man and every sin. Roman crucifixions, a lot of times, would leave men alive for days, be hanging out there, suffering untold misery. Uh, they, they, they tell that birds would fly fly down and eat the flesh off of those men while they're still alive. Breathing was excruciating to pull yourself up and down just to breathe, ripping open those wounds over and over, over again. The mental anguish was no doubt torturous. There's no real way to fully describe his suffering. But I want to tell you this. I'm thankful to God that Jesus was willing to suffer vicariously for me. Because you know what? You can hang me on that cross and I could go through everything he went through. And I could die and they could put me in a grave and you know the difference between me and Jesus? I'd still be in that grave with my sins all over me. He was the spotless lamb of God dying for the sins of the world, the only acceptable sacrifice God would accept for my sin was the spotless lamb of God. I'm covered in sin. My life is full of sin. And those men down in the Philippines who every Easter will allow themselves to be nailed with these um, uh, stainless steel spikes in their hands and feet and they'll hang there for just a little while and then they'll take them down because they felt like they were paying for their own sins that way. Guys, they don't pay for one drop of their own sins because they're not spotless. They're tainted with sin. They are the problem. Jesus was the solution. Amen. On March the 30th, back in 1981, those of us that were around during that time, March 30, 1981 I don't know if you have history buffs that strikes a chord for any reason. President Ronald Reagan was exiting the Washington Hilton Hotel from a speaking engagement as John Hinckley Jr. opened fire on the president, and several men were hit, and a, and a ricocheting bullet hit the president under the arm. It broke one of his ribs and punctured one of his lungs, and he was bleeding out, uh, spitting up blood on the way actually to the hospital as you read the story. Secret servant agent Tim McCarthy put himself in the line of fire and spread his body in front of Reagan to make himself the target. McCarthy stepped in front of President Reagan, Reagan, saving the president from harm at considerable risk to his own life. He was personally struck in the abdomen by the fourth bullet. That bullet was intended for the president. But Tim McCarthy positioned his body so that anything that would have been intended to harm the president would be taken by him. Can I read that last sentence again? Tim McCarthy positioned his body so that anything that would have been intended to harm the president would have been taken by him. And if you don't draw the parallel, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ positioned his body in such a way to take anything that would have been coming to me as judgment from the Heavenly Father Took it on him. Vicariously suffering in my place. And he stands out and gives us the word of God now, the book of Revelation, the last chapter in the book of Revelation. And in numbers of places in the Bible, the voice of God cries out, whoever is thirsty, let him come to the water of life freely and partake of that. Uh, in the book of Revelation, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Come. And him that is a thirst, let him come unto the Lord. And and all through the word of God, God is screaming out, Come now, let us reason together. Uh, Though your sins may be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And if you'll let Jesus Christ stand between you and the judgment of a Father that cannot allow sin into heaven, if you'll cry out to God and admit, I am a sinner, I have no way of taking care of my sin myself, And let Jesus Christ be positioned in just the right place in your heart so that he can deflect the wrath of a holy God and make you a child of the king of heaven. Man, what a blessing that would be. If anybody's here this morning and you're not saved and knowing what Christ did for you today. How can you walk out of here without crying out to God and saying, God, I I need your salvation. And if you are saved, how can anybody walk out of here and not turn around and say, God, thank you for sending your son. And Jesus, thank you for positioning yourself in a place so that I'll never have to experience one ounce of the wrath of God in my life. What a savior. Can anybody say, what a savior we serve today. And thank God for the vicarious suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ.